Well, Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you. And may we live our lives day in, day out in awe of you, to make much of you. Your love, your mercy, your grace, your holiness, your faithfulness, your truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lived the life we couldn't live. We just can't. And you died the death we deserve to die. And you conquered the enemy we could not and cannot conquer. And by faith we say we have sinned and we fall short of all that you are. And by faith we trust that what Jesus accomplished on the cross takes away our sin and our guilt and our shame. And we by faith trust that when you rose from the dead, Lord Jesus, you became king of all. You have all authority. And by faith we put ourselves underneath that authority and we say anything you give to us, Lord Jesus, we give back to you to make much of you. Thank you for eternal life now. And boy, with every fiber of our being, God, there is something that is groaning, longing for that moment. When you return, Lord Jesus, and all the old will be gone, and every enemy, even though they are conquered now, they will be put away, and we will enter the new heaven and the new earth face to face with you. These are longings of our heart, Lord God. Help them to be realities in our life, day in, day out, to make much of you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I have three easels up here. Um, usually we just have one. Um, but the Lord has kind of, ever since I've been meditating on this, he has been bringing something to mind. This easel, I want to represent how we are born. Every person that has ever been born, and I'm just going to speak very clearly today. I hope that this clarity um, you understand is coming from the word of God and not just from me. So the Bible says that every person is born dead in sin and separated from God. Every person that is ever born. We are born into a kingdom of darkness, separated from God. That's what this board represents. For those who have, by choice, and every person must choose before God, who choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Okay, first we got to start off with, let me just. The Bible says God made everything, and he made all things good, and he is holy. We are sinners. We are unholy. But when we choose to admit that, when we choose to admit you are God and I am not because of my sin, and I believe that God, let me define sin this way. Sin is man taking a place that God alone deserves. Sin is man taking a place that God alone deserves. So when I hear things like, I'm going to follow my heart, God wants us to follow him not our hearts. That is man taking the place that God deserves. But then God in his mercy has taken the place that man deserves. By dying on the cross for our sins, that's what we deserve. We deserve death. But God himself put himself in a place to take our punishment and take away our separation from God. But 1 Corinthians 15 would say that if we stop there and we say, I trust in Jesus that he died on the cross for my sins, and that thank God now, because I'm forgiven, I will have eternal life in heaven. He would say, and I hope you hear this with me and as we unpack this this morning, that if that's all we believe, we are believing in vain because we would still be dead in our sins. We would still be here if we do not believe and have hope and faith that not only did he die on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven, so I could be made right with God, but then he was resurrected. So now death and sin are conquered. That's why we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 15. Wake up. Do not go on sinning. And if there's not something alive in us that is pulled toward that reality, we are still living in the kingdom of darkness. 
We are still separated from God and we are still dead in our sins. There is a believing that still leaves us here. I'm going to be possibly jumping around this morning, but I think in the passage, but I think it will make sense as we move forward. One thing I want to read to you is something that came to my attention a couple of days ago. And when, well, let's just go ahead and open up our Bibles. We'll just keep it fluid this morning. Yes, Lord Jesus. When Paul starts off with, now concerning spiritual gifts, he's going to focus for a couple of sentences on things that are spiritual. And evidently in the Corinthian church, there was some confusion over what spiritual experiences were all about. And he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. So ladies, let's be informed this morning over what true spiritual life with God is. Let us not be deceived. Let us not be pulled away like the world's idols tend to pull us away. But let's be informed of the spirit that comes from God proclaims Jesus is Lord. Not my heart, not my emotions, not some policy or politic, not some philosophy, not some relationship, not my family, not my parents, not my church, not my pastor, not my pastor's wife. So a couple of days ago I was visiting with someone and Jesus is Lord is not just something we say with our mouth. If Jesus is our Lord, we say it with our life. We make much of him. That is the aim of our life. Which means if there is any sin that is in me and we are still sinning, we are not in heaven yet. So if there is any sin in my life, if there is any deception in my life, I want to say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I break all ties with that. In the name of Jesus Christ, help me transform that in me. Change me. And if there's anything I need to change, Lord Jesus, give me the power to change it. That's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. So we were having this conversation, and we were talking about even how this world meditates on things and how this world has names for things that sound very spiritual. Grace, gratitude, love. And gals, I'm going to read something for you, which means we have to be discerning, which was what Paul was causing them to do. He said, when it comes to spiritual things, we must be discerning. We must test the spirits and bring them underneath the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we choose to do that. And each person must make a choice. Let me just read this for you. This is called, and this is alive and well. It's as old as the Bible, but this is its new face. And in my opinion... Deception is getting stronger and stronger. Let me read this for you. Christ consciousness. The term Christ consciousness has gained popularity in recent years as celebrities and public figures claim that they have found truth in the form of spirituality. Those championing this idea sometimes call themselves Christians. However, their definition of the word Christian is far different from the biblical meaning. That's why when Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he's describing the gospel. And he says, this is the gospel in which you were saved. This is the gospel in which you stand. This is the gospel in which you remain. And it is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he died and was buried and was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. So one of the first things, if Jesus is your Lord, you are in the word. And he talks about later in one of these passages, he says, to be infants when it comes to evil but to be mature in your thinking. So if Jesus is your Lord, be mature in your thinking of that and your understanding of that is what Paul is encouraging us. And this is some of the discernment we need to have. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is used as a means of normalizing a religion which is nothing more than rebranded Eastern mysticism. The Center for Christ Consciousness website defines Christ consciousness as the highest state of intellectual development and emotional maturity. They go on to claim that Jesus achieved this higher state of being in his human life and was given the term Christ before his name as the recognition of his achievement of this spiritual status. This path is open to anyone regardless of their religious tradition if and when he or she is open to become a living vessel of love 
and truth on the planet and actively strives to attain it. Another site defines it this way. Christ consciousness is a state of awareness of our true nature, our higher self, and our birthright as children of God. It does not take much research to under, under, uncover the ancient roots of this idea. It is the same man-centered philosophy that is behind most religions. So-called Christ consciousness has been known by various names in history, such as, I don't even know how to pronounce this, J-A-I-N-I-S-M, Jainism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and most Eastern mystical religions. More recently, Deepak Chopra has popularized the Christianized version of the same pseudo-spirituality. The danger in this latest version of mysticism is the use of Bible verses and Christian terms, which can easily lead astray those who don't check the scriptures for themselves. The basic premises of mysticism is that man can, within himself, transcend physical existence and experience his own goodness as being one with the universe being a God or existing on whatever higher plane he chooses to believe in. I hear this in my gym. The name of Jesus is merely used as a prop in this latest version of the same idea. Jesus is seen as the leader in showing us how to exalt our own inner goodness and in doing so make ourselves right with whatever deity we choose to acknowledge. Christ consciousness groups claim that Jesus earned the title Christ by perfectly channeling the divine consciousness we can all attain. And they attempt to attribute this philosophy to the Lord Jesus. Do you hear the deception in this, the trickiness in this? Those championing these, this ideology are merely using the name of Jesus as a means of worshiping themselves. That's why I wanted, I know that that worship song was new to many of you, but that's what it's all about. I hope what sticks in your mind is, Lord Jesus, I want to make much of you. I even feel like there are a lot of worship songs in our day and time that are about Jesus serving us so I can feel better, so I can have a better life, so I can be exalted. May we make much of Jesus. May that be our commitment. They desire to find absolution. Here's the discernment. Without repentance, without confession of sin, without or acknowledging Jesus' substitutionary death and resurrection. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. This is true of the Christ conscious movement. Self-designed salvation is merely repackaged under a different name. So is Christ consciousness a true form of Christianity? No. No. <laughs> Come on, ladies. No. 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 Let's let our no's and our amens be loud when it comes to the gospel. Let us be mature in our thinking, convinced and solid. One side explains the Christ consciousness as a level of awareness where you no longer see. Okay, tell me if this doesn't sound like Instagram, Facebook. <coughs> One side explains a Christ conscious as a level of awareness where you no longer see error in any action that you do or in any other human being, but see only the beauty and perfection in all things. For the Christ consciousness does not judge, does not criticize, does not coerce, does not tempt, does not condone, does not react negatively. Really. No, really. That is our culture, and it's getting stronger and stronger and truly to speak up as a Christian and to, to speak the true gospel where we say, and I'm going to look at you because I know that you are saved and you are in Christ and you are good. So I mean nothing. But for me to come up to you and say, Kyung, I love you, but you are a sinner. It feels like I literally could be banished from America for saying that. Yes. <laughs> How dare I? Whose freedom of speech would be limited if I said that? You can't say that. That would be called a hate crime. Really? Are we willing to live for the Lord Jesus? Are we willing to live in the realities that we are sinners? And if we don't live in the reality that, how can we ever be saved? And if we don't say, this is where we're at. I love you too much not to let you know this. Because for all eternity, and that's the final easel, which is still being created by God and we still just have glimpses of. 
But for all eternity, for you to remain in this because I never told you or because you never had someone walk you through that, what a grief. What a grief. That is not to mean to put undue guilt on you, but that is to allow you to experience the Holy Spirit moving in you to speak the gospel to your friends and your family and anybody that God might bring across your path. We must be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Is this what Jesus taught, talking about no judgment? The scriptures are clear that Jesus was crucified precisely for criticizing and reacting negatively to the established religious system of his day. He did not see the beauty and perfection in all things. Instead, he rebuked the arrogant. He commanded the sinners to stop sinning and made it clear that not even those who thought they had achieved Christ consciousness would inherit eternal life. Think of the rich young ruler. He said that he had come to offer himself as a sacrifice by which sinful man could be forgiven. He did not float about in a cloud of transcendent euphoria. The scriptures allow us to see him grieving. Why would Jesus come to this earth if it's just a transcendent way of thinking? Why would he grieve? Why would he cry? He was sad. He was angry. And he was confrontational. Christ consciousness claims a belief in Jesus Christ, but it actually promotes faith in one's own ability to make oneself pleasing to God through attitude changes and mystical experiences. This is not what we believe as a church. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot make ourselves pleasing to God, even after we're a Christian. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why the life of Christ is dwelling within us, so we can cooperate with him and be transformed. First John 4, 1 gives us direction concerning philosophies such as Christ consciousness. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The consciousness that pleases Christ is for human beings to recognize that we are sinners, for human beings to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> this is what we are born into. But in Christ, and I say that in Christ, I do believe there could be somebody in this room who is not in Christ. And I hope today, don't linger any longer. But if you are in Christ, we are no longer living in a kingdom of darkness. Amen? Amen. <laughs> we have been saved from our sin. We have been set free from ourselves. And now we live in the kingdom of light. One application of this is that around your tables or with your friends, do you talk about your Christian life as if you were still in darkness? If you do have a non-ending habitual struggle with sin, this could be your issue. That you're not believing the full gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose again victorious over death and sin and the devil. And that we have died with him and we have been raised to a new life. That's the gospel. But the reality is in this, and this is why Paul is having to write 1 Corinthians 13. This is our born again now. You guys with me? Born but if we're in Christ, no longer. So awesome. No longer. No longer. I'm still learning how to walk in the realities of this. I used to wake up every morning overwhelmed. Now Jesus is teaching me to abide with him even as I wake up in the morning. To wake up in the reality of no longer. I am no longer a slave to this darkness that I feel in the morning. It is a temptation, but it is no longer my reality. I am born again in Christ. That's the power of the resurrection. 
Without the resurrection, we could not be born again. Do you understand? Because death would not be conquered. So the full gospel that we must share with people is God is amazing and he is holy. And when we sin, we are separated from him and we are born into darkness of separation from God. And we are dead in our sin. But through Jesus Christ, praise God through his death, burial, and resurrection, if we receive that by faith alone, then we are born again by the Spirit of God. We are baptized. That's what born again means. Baptized into the Spirit of God. And this is our reality now. Hallelujah. But it's still messy. That's why Paul had to write all these letters to the churches. We are not home yet. So we are still struggling. We are still struggling with sin. We still want to take our spiritual gifts and use them for ourselves. There's still this pull towards sin because we're not in heaven yet. But we are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We are in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. So as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, we were saved by the gospel. We stand firm in the gospel. And we are continually being saved by the gospel. We never leave the gospel, ladies. We never leave the fact that we were dead in our sins without Jesus Christ. So how do we live in this? All of that was because of 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. How about that? There are many spiritual things in this world that are deceptive. And we need to be like infants to those. And we need our mature thinking in Christ to be what we abide in, what our mind dwells in. And uh, we, we had a retreat this weekend where we really went there. And a lot of us actually came away mentally fatigued. Because when you want to change your mind to bring it underneath the authority of Christ and how you live your life, how you do your day, how you pray, where you're being transformed, where your hope is, like you have to fight against the world. You have to, do you think the enemy wants us to live in the power of the resurrection? Like the resurrection is where Satan was defeated. So you start talking resurrection at the beginning, you're going to have some spiritual warfare against that. He doesn't want us to walk in the reality that he is dead to us in Jesus Christ, that his power is powerless toward us. He doesn't want us walking in the reality that literally we can stop sinning. Satan would love for us to think that this is a reality. So it's always going to be a temptation for those who believe in Christ. And we can open the door to Satan's influence if we cooperate with some things. So, little plugs, the threads, which is in your book, will help your mind be mature in Christ. It is the most concise, but depth and width to help you process deeply the gospel of Christ. Get alone and spend time with God looking through this. Let your thinking be mature. That can help you. And after you've processed it, if you have any questions, get together with someone that you know is a mature believer. Because this is one thing Paul is telling us, which Bob also challenged our church with in January. We, together, loving God more. God has called us to come together. So, yes, there are you are responsible for your own mind. You are responsible for your own faith. But we strengthen one another. We encourage one another. We build one another up in the gospel. So go through this. If you have some questions, fine. I still have questions. I still don't know how to articulate some things. But I do know the gospel of Christ. And every believer that is saved absolutely ought to know how you're saved. If you can't articulate the gospel, and I've said this to you guys before, and I know it feels blunt, but I say it with every loving cell in my body. If you can't articulate the gospel, I don't know if you're saved. We should be, we're worshipers. We've been saved. We're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. Why? You ought to be able to say why. And if it's, anything but Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, then you are not saved. Because Christ alone saves. It is possible to believe in vain. Is what Paul is telling us. Another thing that is very helpful, and actually we're going to be the Sunday, unless things change, we're kind of walking organically these days, um, the Sunday night, so Palm Sunday night, we're going to be having a time where we walk 
through spiritual warfare on behalf of our community, but we're going to be praying through this. It's steps to freedom in Christ. And it's about victory over the darkness. A biblical guide to help you resolve personal and spiritual conflicts and become a fruitful disciple of Jesus. If you still feel like after you have really engaged the gospel, because that's where things get set free. That's where things that were locked up are loosed, is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we become alive to God and filled with the Holy Spirit and born again. But there are times if you've walked as a believer for a while that we have engaged in things that are of darkness. And so we need to confess those things. So this is a booklet that you could walk through with someone. Um, if you have a deep, uh, a deep bondage in fear, which I've had in the past, this is one thing that helped me with my deep bondage to fear. Um, if there's a state, anyway, I won't go into all of that, but this, this is a great resource for us. Even believing and following the Christ consciousness, we need to break ties with that spiritually and confess that as sin. If you have followed a false teacher, that is sin on your behalf. We can't just blame the false teacher. We have to confess, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, and I have allowed an authority that is not underneath your authority to influence me. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me for that? I want my mind to be filled with the mind of Christ, period. Because the result is, if you haven't done any of that, you still could be in the kingdom of God if you believe Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But when you pray, there will be confusion. There will be a lack of victory in your life. There will be a struggle, perhaps, with some type of stronghold. Because you are in agreement with something that is not of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a war going on. And I love that Paul doesn't deeply go into that. I love that he just says, be infants when it comes to evil. <laughs> but be mature in your thinking. I love that he doesn't feel like he needs to unpack that. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's a repentance. It's a confession. That's it. Because the Lord Jesus is actually Lord. <laughs> you guys with me? So when we confess those things, he takes care of it like that. When we break agreements with it, he takes care of it like that. When we confess sin to him, he takes care of it like that. He is Lord over all of these things. We just need to break our agreements with it. Christ alone is our spirituality. All right, so into the scriptures. There are just some basic things from each passage. I'm going to need to... So we want to test and discern the spirits and bring every thought under obedience to Jesus Christ, right? So there's another passage we're going to read. A lot of these things that we're talking about, Paul's going to come back around to him. Peter's going to come around to him. John's going to come around to him. Um, but one of them talks about taking your thoughts captive and bringing every thought underneath submission and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about. So gifts, here are the main points. Everybody here in this room has a spiritual gift. Everybody, no one has been left out. True? Yes. True. They are given by God. He's the one who chooses them. We do not get to choose what spiritual gifts we have. So the spiritual gift that you have was given to you by God. He chose it for you. We are all members of one body. So what that means is my spiritual gift that was given to me is for you. It is not for myself. To use my spiritual gift for myself would be living in kind of this area. It would be me being pulled back to this self-absorbed, self-focused, self-glorifying, self-prosperity. That is a very used word these days that I believe the Christ consciousness fits right underneath. But our gifts were not given given to us for our own special experiences. They were given to us for the building up of other people in our church. That way there can be no divisions. There will only be care for one another. So we were even talking in our leader meeting this morning that um, I do, I have the gift of prophecy and I thank God for people with the gift of discernment. So they can tell me, Rhonda, like I love, I listened to this tape this week a little bit on what the gift of prophecy is like. We do. We love being corrected. If I'm off, please tell me. 
Like, I love truth enough, and I am so not committed to myself. I am committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I ever say something that is truthful but not helpful, if I ever say something that is off, if you ever, like, it is loving to tell me. Like, if you have the gift, oh, Linda's raising her hand. Here we go. What did I do wrong? Yes. Uh, you said that, yes, we do all. That's not true. Oh, yeah. We all have a spiritual gift, but not one yes. person has all gifts. It's possible to have multiple gifts. But also only if you are in Christ. Correct. We are talking now about this. Okay. Yes. Thank you for that clarity. See, I love this. <laughs> I love this because it brings, see this, seriously, this is 1 Corinthians 12 at work. I love this because me doing my thing and you doing your thing and Candace doing her thing and uh, Deborah doing her thing and Sandy making the coffee, all the gifts that have been used, your leader using your gifts, this is building us all up as one body. I'm not just here for one person. I'm here for the body. You're not just speaking that to me. You're speaking that for the benefit of all of us. That's what using spiritual gifts is all about. And each person has at least one gift. Every single person that is in Christ and has been born again. But again, the gift has been given for the building up of the church, not for our selfish gain. And that's a good way to test a spirit. When someone is doing something that feels spiritual, who's getting the glory? Is Jesus being proclaimed as Lord? Is the goal for that person to be built up in their faith in Christ? Or is the goal to have some type of amazing experience together? Just because someone is loud, just because someone is sensational, does not mean that they are of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just learned today, even if they are speaking Bible verses, even if they are saying Jesus so what things do we discern? We discern that that person does proclaim the gospel. We do discern that their <coughs> gifts are being used for the building up of the body. We do discern that there are times that they are confessing sin and that they are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And the biggest test, the most excellent way is, the most excellent way is love. love. Yes, these are things that we can use to test the spirits. Um, so let's talk about love. Love is the most excellent way. Um, I read a, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So this, a beautiful thing to do with this is to, when it's describing in verse four and on, to put your name in there and look and just wait. Your sin will be revealed. <laughs> if you're wondering, what do you mean? There's sin in my life after I'm still a Christian. Just put your name in 1 Corinthians 13 and see how that is not. How, just start with love is patient. Boom, right there. <laughs> right? Keeps no record of wrongs. Boop, done. <laughs> right? But if you put the name of Jesus Christ in there, you will see that he has fulfilled all of these perfectly in love. And it is, and see, that this is the now living his life by the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. You can be transformed now. If there is somebody that they feel stuck in habitual sin or somebody sits at your table and says, I just can't love that person. You can say to them, that is true. You can't, but Christ in you can. So pray and talk to him about that. And listen for him as you abide in the gospel reality that you are dead to your sin that says, I can't live alive to God. You are alive to God in Christ. You are alive to God in Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and is transforming you into the character of Christ, which is already in you. He says, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Even joy love. The love of Christ dwells within you. The joy of Jesus dwells within you. We just need to learn to say no to sin, die to self, 
and live alive to God. That is our reality now. Because of what Christ has done on the cross and in his resurrection, you can say no to sin. You can die to yourself so that the Holy Spirit can fill you, not just with his presence, even though how amazing is that? And I long for that more and more, but also with his power to change, to love, to be transformed, to not think of yourself, but to think of building up the body of Christ. That's what love is all about. I love in the beginning where it literally says, and some of these are things we would love to happen. I'm not gonna go into them, but wouldn't you love to just have all knowledge? But God said, even if that were true about you and you had not love, it would be nothing. And then he goes into that part. And then this last part is honestly for me, the part that hit me the strongest for me personally about we know in part. You know how some of you really struggle with feeling the complete love of God and feeling the complete power of transformation? We still live by faith. And we know in part. That's life now. One day we will fully know. One day we will fully see God face to face. But, it, but for now, we only know in part. There's, so there's still a need for faith. And I love how at the end, it talks about no longer will we need the gifts. So... When we get to heaven, we won't need faith. This is, faith is a temporary practice. We won't need mercy. We won't need healing. We not, won't need prophecy. We won't need teaching. We won't need hope. Why? We'll be in the presence of God who is all those things in and of himself. So in some way, there's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song out there that one time grabbed me with this reality. And he said, I, so, I have so many questions for God. Like I know in part, there's so many things I wanna talk to God about. And he said, but I know when I get up to heaven, I'm gonna sit with my angel buddies and they're gonna say, what was it like to be saved? What was it like to live by grace? What was it like when you confessed your sin and the Holy Spirit moved in and you experienced joy and peace? What would, like, they already know in full, but we are experiencing in the now an opportunity to bring God so much glory because as we know in part, if we say at this period of time, Jesus, I want to make much of you. Oh my gosh, what glory God gets even in the midst of temptation, in the midst of deception, in the midst of still being having sin within us and selfishness that we're battling, if in the midst of that we continually bring ourselves underneath the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, what glory be to God for all eternity. It is a precious opportunity that we have, but it is a time of suffering because we only know in part. But that's why we have to come together as a body and build one another up. As we use our gifts to build one another up, they must be done in order. Did you see that? Why? Because God is a God of peace and not a God of confusion. So around this church, you will see things not to squelch the spirit by any means, but to do things in honor so that the God of peace can fill all in all. So the first part of 1 Corinthians 14 says, so pursue love. Pursue love. And then the other part that I want to bring to your attention, um, just in this specific chapter, is where it says, um, at, the, at the very end of where he's talking about prophecy in tongues, verse 24, like I shared with you, sometimes Paul talks like this, and then at the end of a paragraph, he goes just kaboom, and he says a statement there. You're like, okay, I get it. Thank you, Paul. As I read this this week, this is what I prayed this week. I don't know. I have never experienced this. I would love to experience this with a group of Christ followers as a church body. 
But if I'll prophesy, and in my mind, prophecy, again, it's done in order, but it's truth speaking. And we prophesy, especially when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in all its truth. So if there's a group of people walking maturely in their thinking and saying out loud, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're processing, it says, and any believer or outsider enters into that community, he is convicted by all. What is the word convicted to? Connected to sin. Right, right then and there, there's some type of something going on in the fellowship where the holiness of God is so present and the gospel is so proclaimed rightly that conviction of sin does happen. An outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. I don't even think in some of our most intimate conversations with other Christians, we disclose the secrets of our heart. We are too prideful. May we humble ourselves and be willing for the sake of us understanding the fullness of the freedom of the gospel of Christ, be willing to disclose the secrets of our hearts so God can be magnified. If we are clinging to any human goodness, we do not understand the depths and the joy of the gospel. So if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Yes, Lord. That's what I wrote real big across my Bible. Yes, Lord. Again, in chapter 15, which I've already kind of addressed in the very beginning, I addressed that we, it's possible to b believe in vain. I addressed in verses three, um, 3 and 4 and even 5 where it talks about how he was raised again and how he appeared to people. And that if we don't believe that, we are in vain. And then verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only... We're of all people most to be pitied. But in, fa in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We should all go, thank you, God. Right? So we have been made alive to God, verse 22 says. So at the very end, which I've already read to you, verse 34, at the end of this talk that he has, it says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some of you have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Some of you have no knowledge to God, and it is to our shame. It is to your shame, Paul says. Just because you come to Bible study, just because you come to church, that does not make you a Christian. Bob talks all the time. It's like just because... I walk into a garage, it does not make me a car. <laughs> I must be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And then he talks about our glorious hope that is to come. But for now, verse 56, at the end of chapter 15, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reality of being born again, is that you have been given victory in Jesus Christ. Walk in it. Encourage one another to walk in it. Use your spiritual gift to help other people walk in the victory of Christ. That is what church life is. And he says, therefore, my beloved sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That wasn't, Paul is writing that to the church. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's all worth it. If you suffer in some way by telling somebody that they are a sinner separated from God, but how God loved them, and came to this earth and lived the life they couldn't live and died the death they deserved to die and conquered 
an enemy they couldn't conquer because of his deep love for them, if you suffer because of that, it's not in vain. It's worth it. It's worth it to take time out from your day to make your mind mentally strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is worth it to say, God, where in my life are you convicting me of sin that I can say no to so I can say yes to being alive with you and being filled with your Holy Spirit so I can love well like you love. So that if there's any possibility with anybody that walks by me, lives in my house, is in my family, is a friend, if at all possible, then they see your life in me and they ask me for the reason for the hope that they can have I can share the full truth of the gospel with them. It would not be in vain. So worth it. So worth it. My last thought on our scriptures is chapter 16, and this even grabbed me this morning. Verse 22, Paul says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I love this. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. He's not speaking this from a place of pride. He's speaking this from a place of love and humility. And he said, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. What does that mean? If there is not a love for God that's pulling you to be transformed to the image of Christ, if there is not a love for God that is calling you out of your comfort zone, to sh comfort zone to share the full gospel. By full gospel, I mean death, burial, resurrection, lordship, not just savior, savior and lord. That means things will change. I know a lot of people love the saved part. I'm forgiven. <coughs> I'll be in heaven. But I like the way my life is. There's even a verse in the Bible that says, for a while sin is pleasurable. I like the pleasure of my sin. I do not want to change. There is potential that you do not love the Lord and that you are still in a kingdom of darkness. Or you are born again, but the Holy Spirit is not able to fill someone who has allegiances in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And he would say, confess your sin and get right with God, my child, so that the Spirit may fill you. Because we can grieve the Holy Spirit with our choices. So the verse I would share with you about that too is a verse in John 10 where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about a pull from your spirit that wants to glorify Christ. A pull from your spirit deep inside of you, the inner man that wants to Use your gift to build others up. A pull to share the gospel. A pull to love the most excellent way. There have been some sins in my life even after I was a Christian. When I was in high school, and this was after I was a Christian, when I was in high school, I worked in a clothing store and we had split skirts. It was the 80s, ladies. <laughs> had split skirts. And I took it home to try it on and I just kept it, never paid for it. Then I went to a conference where they were talking about make things right if you know that you have sinned in any way. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, it's not you are so stupid, you are so ignorant. It is something very specific. And in that moment, he's like, you kept that split skirt without paying for it. You need to go pay for it and confess it to your boss and see if there's any restitution you need to make. And I did. When Bob's mom came to live with us, when she had Alzheimer's, I was very confronted with my lack of love. There were times I felt more anger than love, and I knew that this was a place for God to transform me. So I confessed that, and I cried out to God for help. Show me, God. Show me how to love her. I believe that your Holy Spirit is in me. I don't believe that this Sin or lack of love sends me back to hell. I, it can't because of Jesus Christ's salvation over me. So I'm not going to be stuck in guilt. I'm not going to be stuck in shame. I'm not going to doubt my salvation. 
but I am going to cry out to you and say, show me how to love. Transform me, Lord God. I humble myself. After my mom died, I was faced with bitterness. But then about two years later, as I was standing in front of her grave, I was praying out to God. I said, God, I don't know what to think about these people that are in the ground right here. I don't know what to think. I need your help. And he began bringing to my mind every good thing they had ever done for me. And I was filled with gratitude. Just like that, a confession of bitterness. Just like that, the Holy Spirit is with us and can transform us. We just have to be willing to deny sometimes even our pain and our self and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to move forward without bitterness. I want to move forward without anger. I want to move forward without deception. I want to be a pure vessel available to you. And his, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit says, oh, my child, how wonderful. Most recently, when we were on the retreat, something that God is working on me with, um, and some of you have journeyed with me even with um, shingles last year. And one thing that, some of it is that's just life. But I knew, I knew, see this is how the Holy Spirit works with us. I knew that there was a way that I was living that was too wrecked by anxiety. I knew it. I didn't quite know how to put my hand on it, but it's been a year-long journey. And so the Lord has been revealing to me more and more what that is that he is wanting to transform. And then this weekend he made it clear. Sometimes it just takes time for him. He has to take layer after layer off as we continue to walk with him in that. But I literally came down to, God, it's my adrenaline, and the way that I think literally sets my adrenaline off, and I do not want adrenaline to be my Lord. I do not want to obey my emotions. I do not want to obey my adrenaline. I want to obey the Holy Spirit. So I confessed that I had been obedient to my emotions and not to the Lord. And he brought this verse to mind about a woman and the hidden person of the heart. See, nobody else could see this. Nobody else knows. But I knew in the hidden person of my heart that I did not have a gentle and quiet spirit that is so lovely to the Lord. If you looked at the hidden person of my heart, you would see somebody that often was full of anxiety and stress. And God said... How about if we take care of that? How about if you, you have learned how to still yourself over the years. How about if I teach you how to be gentle, which means strength under control. And that verse is actually attached to understanding how Jesus showed gentleness even when he was brought before unjust wrong accusations. It says he did not revile or threaten in return, but he obediently went to the cross for us. And that's when he goes, and he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's here. Here, our sins have not been taken care of. Here, we are not healed. Here, we, can, we are dead in our sins so that we could live, so that we can, we have to agree with God, live according to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. Walk in that. That's the power of the gospel. Whether you feel it or not, whether your thoughts there or not, bring those thoughts into conformity with Christ and live according to that promise. Just to finish our time together, I have a video that, this is Billy Graham. He's going to bring the gospel to us like only he can for four minutes. And he talks about tonight needing to make a choice. But let's just put today. And after, um, after he speaks, I want us just to have a couple of minutes of silence. And if you want to, you can come up and write something on these boards. Again, this is how we're all born. There's no 
like, there's not just one person in this room who is born dead in their sin and the rest of us, and we're like, oh, she's one of those. <laughs> like, we were all born dead in our sin, and we all need Christ, but it's a choice only we can make. But we are no longer this if we are in Christ. You might need to claim that I am no longer this. I haven't been walking in the reality of the resurrection, that that's no longer who I am. I've been more trusting somehow that I am not healed, that I am not able, that I am somehow in darkness. Walk in the reality of the gospel. You might want to come write something here. I don't know. And nobody may want to write anything. You may just want to go talk to your groups and talk. But these next four to six minutes are for you to process the gospel because only you can do that. I can't do that for you. I wish I could. Wish I could. Nobody else can but you. I'm praying for you. Now you can't change your past, but you can determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. But Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong are forgiven. What do you have to do? You have to repent of your sins. That means to be willing to change your way of living. You may have no power to do it. You may not have power to give up some of those habits you know are wrong. You may not have power to fall in love with your wife again. You may not have power to change your whole life that you know needs to be changed. But if you surrender to Christ, he'll give you the power. You say, well, Billy, I don't know what else to do. I've been baptized. I joined the church and so forth, but I don't really have peace and joy and power in my life, all that you're talking about. How do I get it? Jesus Christ said, I am the way. Come to Christ. He will give you a new strength and a new power and a new joy and a new peace and a purpose for living. Every person that ever lived has to make the same choice. It's either the world and its pleasures and it's God's or it's Christ. Which is it for you? Who are you choosing? Who are you voting for? Choosing rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Oh yes, there's pleasure in sin for a short time. But it's soon over. The hangover comes and there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to be there. Choose Christ. And there'll never be a hangover except joy and peace. And it's an urgent decision because to delay makes the right decision harder. Indecision in itself is a choice. Not to decide is to decide not to. If you have a ticket for a flight to Atlanta tonight and can't decide whether to go or not, if you wait past the departure time, the choice will have been made. The plane will take off without you. Decisions are made whether we make them or not. Time decides if you will not. And time always decides against you. There's a lonely arena in the depths of your heart where the greatest battle of life must be fought alone. That's your decision about Christ. Your parents can't make it for you. The church can't make it for you. Your friends can't make it for you. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend can't make it for you. You have to make it yourself. And you must decide tonight. There are hundreds of people here tonight that have to decide tonight, and your decision tonight, yes or no, will decide where you'll be a hundred years from now. If you're not sure that you're ready to meet God, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, you come and make sure tonight. I believe that none of you are here by accident tonight. I believe that you're here on this particular night because this is the night that you are to meet God in a new way and receive him into your heart. Come to Christ. He will give you a new strength and a new power and a new joy and a new peace and a purpose for living.
We magnify you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done, all you are doing, and all that you will be in heaven with us. We long for you, Lord God. But until then, we wait patiently for your return, proclaiming your gospel, building up your church, living fully alive to you. In Jesus' name, amen.